Welcome to Dear Adam Silver, a podcast about sports, art, and the creative space they share. My name is Abigail Smithson, and I'm a visual artist and longtime fan of the game of basketball. For this episode, I had the chance to speak with Isaac Eager. Isaac is a writer and pickup basketball player. He has played the game all over the world, from Sarasota, Florida, to New York City, to Cuba, Israel, Lithuania, and Tibet. I reached out to Isaac a couple of years ago after reading an essay he wrote for Los Angeles Magazine about playing street basketball in LA. We have been in touch ever since then, and I'm very excited to have him on the show today. And before I get into my conversation with Isaac, I just want to talk a little bit about something that's come up recently for me, and it's a lot about how I want to use my podcast as a platform to discuss issues I care about, and of course, I'm an artist. I really love discussing the power that art has. I'm a sports fan. I love basketball and I really enjoy watching many sports. And so that's another really exciting topic for me. And so getting to discuss those two together is really, really wonderful. Um, But I also think it's important to not ignore the rest of the world outside of that. And I was recently listening to a a podcast, The Dave Chang Show, which is... uh, um, a podcast hosted by Dave Ch- Chang, who's a, a chef. Um, he started in New York City, but now he has restaurants all over the world. And his podcast um, through the Ringer Network started out as a lot about cooking and things like that. But as I've been listening to it more and more, he really expanded his guests, sort of guest list, and who he's choosing to have on the show and what they're talking about. And I'm trying to really think about um, you know, between art and sports, I, I think I really enjoy discussing the body and how the body, or maybe enjoy is not the right word, but I really think it's important to discuss the body because I think the body, through representation, through fear of the body, through concerns, um, issues of race, ethnicity, I think that it's important to, in both through the lens of art and of sports, it's important to discuss the body. So that's been kind of an abstract road. I've gone down with this podcast at some points, um, but I was listening to Dave Chang's show the other day, and he had on David Wallace Wells um, of New York Magazine, and uh, also author of The Uninhabitable Earth, and they were discussing climate change, which um, is a really scary thing to me, and I'm not sure if I'm the only one that feels this way who is listening to this podcast, but I'm guessing that I'm not, and at the end of the show, it was a really great episode. You know, Dave talked a lot about his experience with with uh, running a restaurant group and running individual restaurants and how he uh, sort of wanted to make less of a footprint, carbon footprint, than he was has been making and trying to be more mindful of that. Um, and I'm also experiencing some of those same thoughts of um, trying to just be really mindful of how I am uh, treating the earth. And that seems like a really important thing to be discussing about. It doesn't really have to do with fine art specifically. It doesn't have to do with sports. But I'm thinking about it all the time, so it's affecting how I think about those things as well. And at the end of this episode that um, of the Dave Chang show, he asks uh, David Wallace Wells, who wrote this book, what can people do 
And David Wallswell said, just talk about it. It's really important to talk about because the more we talk about it, the more it's, it's addressed. And if it's just addressed by me right now on this podcast, um, with my, you know, my reach might be minimal, but it's just important that I don't want to not talk about the things that scare me. And I want them to be, you know, they're a part of everything else that I'm experiencing. So I think it's really important to speak out, um, even if it's, it's from a, you know, what feels like a small place now. I just wanted to say that as I'm going through this process of developing this platform for myself and trying to be really inclusive and, and bring in all these different voices, I'm also thinking about climate change all the time and, and what I can do to hurt the earth less. And if anyone wants to speak about that with me um, in any context, I'm really interested in in different ways that I can sort of find ways to do that. And at that to the local level where I live in Tucson, Arizona, and it can also be at a more expansive level. But I think the more I speak about it with other people, maybe the sooner it could feel like something um, is being done towards it or about it. Because I think it's at the root of so many other issues and we're facing so many different issues right now as a planet. Um, and this is just one of them, but it's such a big one. And I don't want to not, you know, I have made so many changes and also just stuck to my guns about a lot of things for a long time about how I want to sort of live, um, and what kind of impact I, I thought I was already making, but I've also made a lot of changes recently that I feel, um, could be, are helpful to me mentally to know that I'm, I am, um, maybe harming the earth a little bit less, but I'm so open to more of those ideas and to adapting and changing my own lifestyle, um, to, to, to be a better part of that, this community, uh, this huge ongoing earth community. Anyways, those are some of my thoughts and I just wanted to put that out there that even though it doesn't come up all the time on the show in a direct way that it's just it's so much a part of of everything and I think all the people that I've spoken to on the show probably are thinking about it all the time too. So yeah, I just wanted to say those words out loud that felt really important to do that and to thank Dave Chang for having this, you know, sort of being able to go outside his comfort zone and ask questions and say, I don't know anything about this. Can you tell me? He does that a lot. And I think that's really such a wonderful thing. So his way of handling this issue has sort of led to me wanting to say something on my own platform. So I really hope everyone enjoys the interview with Isaac. Um, and yeah, thanks so much for listening. Right. What is, um, what is, I remember reading in one of your articles that you have to drive pretty far to find basketball, um, sometimes in Florida or Sarasota. Is that still true? Um, you know, I only play basketball in one place in Sarasota now, and it is the YMCA. And, um, it is a vortex of total dicks. Like, uh, yeah, everyone who, everyone who plays there turns into a total asshole and, uh, me included. (laughs) So so you're part uh, of the vortex. 
yeah, you can't escape it. It doesn't matter who you are. Um, and I want to write an article. There's a, uh, there's a subreddit that I like to read sometimes called Am I the Asshole? Yeah. And it's where someone presents like a situation and they ask for everyone's feedback, whether or not they think they're in the wrong or the other person is. And I want to write uh, an article titled, Am I the Asshole? Asking if, if that's the case where I play basketball and I would be interviewing these players I've been playing with for like five years, if I'm an asshole or not. Yeah, and I guess. I already know the answer. <laughs> I guess my first thought is, have you discussed this vortex with the other players? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a funny phenomenon because people get really, really upset playing here and for some reason we all keep coming <laughs> and, I, and it, it's it, sometimes it's 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 a total mystery to me i mean a lot of these guys are it's a pretty wide range of, of age like there are people as young as 19 and there's one guy who's in his mid-70s who comes and plays so you know pretty broad spectrum there right and yeah, even though even though people get like really really upset, they they keep coming back. Yeah, myself included. <laughs> so it's it's kind of funny in that regard. Right. Well, I think um, I guess that is going. We can tie that back in to some questions I had for you um, as we talk more just about. Uh, enjoyment like where where you enjoy playing the most or have enjoyed playing the most um mm. but i think just for the listeners who are less familiar with your with your ongoing work i just want to talk a little bit about how um basketball has kind of evolved in your life or where maybe it went from you playing to you writing about playing if that was um if there was a turning point there. Um, and I also just want to say that it's really nice to speak with you on the phone because we've been emailing back and forth for a while now, and it's just it's nice to hear your voice and get the chance to talk. Yeah, thanks for uh, taking the initiative of uh, upgrading our relationship. Yes, I feel like it's time, and I hope that it can continue because I just um, – I was so excited when I read, first read your article for, uh, I think it was Los Angeles Magazine, mm -hmm. and um, just finding sort of, I had been thinking through so much in my head about wanting to learn about different places through basketball and what it means if basketball is prevalent in a certain place and what it means if it doesn't really exist in that place and how that sort of can affect the feel of a, of a certain location. and. Then I got sent this article by one of my friends and it was like, someone is already doing this and they're actually <laughs> playing basketball. <laughs> so it's like, there's, there, there, but it's, I think that that adds to it, that there's, there's different ways to approach this, the same issue. And, um, anyway, so that's where, that's where we started. So yeah, I just, if you could talk about your, your life with basketball and how it's, um, either I don't know really how it's either evolved or not evolved you can tell us <laughs> well my earliest memory is actually it involves basketball in a way um I was three years old 
and I had gone to Burger King and and my like Happy Meal or whatever they call it at Burger King. Yeah. I got like one of those suction cup basketball hoops, like, really tiny thing, and you just stick it against the glass and you have a little like rough plastic basketball and you know you do your best to pretend you're something great. Right. And I remember, I remember the house. Uh, it's it's the house my parents still live in to this day, and both my grandmothers and my mother were in the room, watching me. And I don't know who said it. Probably my mother, because she worries the most. Um, she was worried about me like breaking the glass. And I think my grandmother Rebecca said to stop worrying so much. And literally at that moment, I flew through the glass. Um, I don't know how. You know, I'm yeah. I'm still maybe a little clumsy at times, um, but <laughs> the glass wasn't tempered, and um, I gashed open my left arm, and glass flew into my neck, like just barely missing my my artery. Wow! And it's oh just like God. a very vivid memory yeah. of me looking down at my arm and noticing like the like red architecture inside of it because it's it was it was very big and i had to go to the hospital and i remember like choosing to go in my dad's green ford ranger over the ambulance that came and i remember my parents like having to hold me down while they sewed me up wow um and so that's my earliest memories with basketball and it didn't deter me from it i guess i i don't know i don't I don't think I have any sort of lingering trauma over that. Yeah. I've had a pretty like successfully injury-free career. I've had like a torn MCL and a dislocated elbow and probably just like general wear and tear, but nothing catastrophic, uh, knock on wood, because I'm going to go play later today. Right. Um, I'm knocking on the uh, door frame to my closet. So. <laughs> I appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, of course. And so, yeah, basketball was just always a part of my life for a while until I started um, skateboarding and smoking pot full-time in high school. Yeah. And so I, I stopped playing for like varsity and um, I chose a counter-cultural lifestyle, which suited me at the time. And it wasn't until I, I, I lived in Nicaragua that I rediscovered my love for basketball and also like being good at something because I was bad at both smoking pot and skateboarding. Um, and that was when I was, yeah, I was working for a non-governmental organization for a year after high school in between, um, high school and college. Okay. And this little tiny pueblito I lived in had a basketball court and I would play almost every single day with a group of guys. And I, I don't think I recognized how important that was then as a way of bonding and getting close to people. Um, yeah. but in hindsight, I see that now, that it opened up this little world to me um, and these relationships that I would not have had otherwise. And so after that, I went to um, a very academic school, uh, Reed College, which isn't known for its sports. Uh -huh. um, we had a basketball team. It was a walk-on, uh, so anybody can play. And we had some controversy when... Um, this girl came and played with us and we had no problem with it, but the other opposing 
schools did. We frequently played uh, Bible colleges in the oh, Pacific wow, Northwest yeah. region. Yeah. And it was a good lesson. You know, I, I was very passionate about it. And I learned to lose because we lost all the time. So that was important. Yeah. Um, and up until this point, like basketball never seemed like something I was going to do professionally. I always wrote about sports at school. Mm-hmm. Um, my thesis was about um, anti-doping policy in the Olympics um, and how that changed over time. Um, and then, yeah, I ended up, uh, I think I had like a brief fantasy of playing professional basketball overseas. And I remember my one friend, David, laughing at me <laughs> about that. And he was right. <laughs> um, but it wasn't until I moved to New York City that basketball transitioned from just like this passionate hobby to uh, something that um, I could kind of integrate into a sort of profession. I don't know yeah. how professional of a writer I am. It doesn't, I don't get paid like a professional, that's for sure. Um, but yeah, I moved to New York to... Um, try and win back my first love. She, she had broken up with me cause she said I wasn't ambitious enough and she was right. She was definitely right about that. Um, and so I like moved to New York where she was, uh, to like prove that I could be ambitious. And I decided at that point I was going to be a writer. Uh-huh. Um, and I think a lot of it had to do with, um, David Foster Wallace's nonfiction. Um, mm. which can sometimes be embarrassing now, you know, when you like, you love an artist a lot and then like the cultural temperature changes and it's not cool to like him anymore or her anymore. Yes. It's happening with <laughs> Dave Matthews band <laughs> for me. Really? <laughs> well, I mean, I, it's just, I'm referencing this totally randomly, but it's just like, I can't help that. I still really like Dave Matthews band. Like I did in high school. I can't help it that those songs still mean so much to me, but it's just like, uh-huh it's kind of a little bit dorky now and um, I get some shit for it. Um, And I mean, it's not like I'm listening to them all the time, but it's just funny that in high school it felt very of the moment for me. And now it's a little bit like, yeah, this isn't, um, this doesn't have that same, same pull or meaning to, to the masses that it did, that it might still have for me. So I, I hear you on that. Um, you know, my buddy is a bartender at a dive bar in Seattle, and Dave Matthews frequently goes to his bar. Wow. Yeah, yeah. And so he hasn't he hasn't befriended him yet. I keep telling him to. Uh, Dave is actually a huge Bernie supporter, it turns out. So, nice. You know, depending on how you feel about that, that could be either good or bad news. Yeah, I mean, I, I am um, in this current state that we're in, I... Um, Bernie might not be my number one, but I certainly like what he brings to the table, <laughs> um, and I respect him. He's so, a hooper. Have you seen video of him hooping? Have you read Bernie about... Sanders? Yes. No, he, that is There's great. a great article in The Guardian about how he played pickup in Vermont with all these people, and these guys who knew him from way back when described his play and talked about um, how he transitioned into politics while he was playing pickup. Wow. Um, 
And so, you know, I voted, I was very excited to vote for Obama in 2008 when he was in Germany and he was visiting our troops. Not that that's something I support necessarily, but, uh, if they, he was in a gym, a basketball gym, and yeah. someone tossed him a ball, and he made that three-pointer first try. <laughs> and I was just like, oh, shit. Like, I, I'm obviously voting for this guy. Right. Um, and it's been a fantasy of mine to play with Obama because I guess I have these kinds of theories that your true self comes out when you play. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm working on that theory because if that's true – then my true self is not necessarily who I want him to be. Um, so anyway, Bernie, yeah. basketball guy. I'll look that up. That's good to know. I actually, I am also a fan of Pete Buttigieg, and um, he's had to speak on the fact that he looks just like the Celtics coach Brad Stevens a couple times. I can, I can see that. And yeah. I like that. Um, I like that well, they both have They both have bad white boy haircuts. That's like the main thing. <laughs> and they share Indiana as a, um, uh-huh. as a starting point. So um, I do like that there's some, some overlap that some of the candidates are being, uh, they're addressing <laughs> in some way how basketball exists. So I'll check Bernie out. Yeah, I can't think of any other candidates who have some sort of basketball connection at the moment. Right. Yeah, but that is important to me. There's also really great. I, I love looking for um, either video or photos of world leaders playing sports. Uh-huh. And there is a great photo series of Fidel Castro playing basketball. He actually loved basketball possibly more than baseball. Wow. He's playing in his combat boots. It's pretty great. Yeah. Yeah. That can't yeah. be good um, for the arches, maybe. You know, from what I understand, everyone kind of let him win, so maybe he didn't have to go all out. Right. But um, yeah, it's it's pretty cool. They're great. They're great photos. Yeah. I highly recommend it. Um, I derailed the conversation. I'm usually doing the interviewing, so sure. being interviewed is always. Um, it's funny, like trying to listen to myself and see if I'm going from being interesting. <laughs> Okay, so I mean, I think actually I derailed the conversation by bringing up Dave Matthews' fan. So I think that um, we can get back to David Foster oh, right. Wallace. Oh, right. I remember. That's right. Okay. So I think you're, no, I you're asked, doing fine. I asked you. I did ask you that question. So uh, it, was a, it was David Foster Wallace's article, How Tracy Austin Broke My Heart, which was this essay he wrote about um, a tennis memoir and how disappointing it is to listen to athletes talk about their lives. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was just like, wow, like you can write about sports in a beautiful way. And I really wanted more of that. Yeah. And so I happened to have met the, um, editor of the New York times sports desk, uh, a few years prior, um, on my first visit to New York, I actually, I actually borrowed his swim trunks to get into the red hook public swimming pool because you need like you need like the interwedding kind of thing like they they at the front entrance of public pools in new york they they, if you're a guy they pull open your pants to see if you have that interlining thing oh yeah nice (laughs) and i'm from florida and and in florida the rule is if it gets wet it's a swimsuit you know there isn't really 
like you'll go to the beach and you'll see a lot of um, Amish people in Sarasota, like walk, like waiting in the waters in their full gowns. So oh, yeah. you know that's a swimsuit as far as I'm concerned. Um, but fortunately, like I was with my friend, and this was her father. Um, my friend's name is Lucy. His name is Joseph Sexton, and um, he let me borrow some trunks. And I felt like we had a, a rapport. Sure. He, he 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 liked to give a lot of shit and I would, you know, give it back in return. Um, and so I, I'm like going to move to New York to win this girlfriend back. I call him, um, like Joe, it's Isaac or me, part of swim trunks. And, um, he says, sure. I tell him what I'm trying to do. You know, I'm like, I want to be a writer. And I had started like this little, like awful sports blog. Um, you know, I can't read anything I've ever written anymore. Okay. Yeah. Once it's once it's once it's in there, I, I don't ever want to read it again. It's always embarrassing, and this stuff is especially embarrassing. But um, <laughs> you know, he's he's like, I was like, yeah, you know, I'll do whatever. Like, bring you guys coffee. It's like he's like, oh well, you know, we don't really have a our internship position is filled. But you know, when you move here, you know, and get settled, you know, take like get get to know New York a little bit better. Um, call me and we'll get lunch. And so I, I moved to New York. Um, I've got like three months worth of money saved up to to make this happen. And after about a month of just exploring New York by really just playing pickup basketball in all the neighborhoods I was just like biking around in, um, I meet with Joe. I tell him what I'm doing. I tell him I'm I'm uh, playing basketball and I, I give him some stories and he's like oh this is interesting you should write about that and so I thought it was just like a suggestion you know yeah. like good advice like you know that's the story like and so I, I like I write about it and I send him probably a month later about 2,000 words or not 2,000 10,000 words of just like basketball um you know thoughts and experiences and he gives me advice on like what to do with it. He edits it a bit, um, and then I send it back to him. And then, like maybe a couple weeks later, he's like, "Go buy the paper tomorrow." And there I am on the front page of the New York Times, oh my, with my basketball story. Yeah, it was it was crazy. And I, the funny thing is, is I couldn't even appreciate it how amazing it was because I was so concerned about this girl and whether. She like had seen it or not, and she was gonna be impressed by it. Yeah. So, yeah, um, that started my writing career really, and I worked under Joe for a little while until I got like an agent really fast, and then I started working on a book. Like a, I was ghostwriting a memoir for a, an NFL Giants player, and um, that didn't work out. That's a whole other story, but. Yeah. That's that's what got me into writing about sports and basketball, and I, you know, I I write about all kinds of things now, but I keep returning to um, writing about basketball and and traveling, and so um, that's I guess that's like a a version of my story. Yeah, I. So is this the piece that you're talking about that was in the New York Times? That's the Who's Got Next, right? That's the one. Yeah, so... that was like. One of my first pieces I ever got published, and it was that one, yeah. That's wild, because, I mean, well, also, 
reading it, I'm thinking a couple of things. I mean, I think it, it makes sense that if you're saying that you sent it in as sort of like different snippets of your experience, because mm-hmm. um, I feel like that's how it was presented. Um, mm-hmm. But also, that's just wild that, that that's where you started from. Because, I mean, it's really, it's really, yeah, that's just a really great opportunity. Yeah, I mean, um, a lot of my other friends who were writers were insanely mad and jealous about that, and rightfully so, because they had been, you know, busting their asses, and here I just come, like, waltzing in, and I get that. And maybe that was, like, the peak. Like, I've already hit, like, the summit of my writing career. <laughs> and it's all just been downhill since then. I don't know. But, I mean, I've also read some other things. So, um, I mean, but you can well, say that. I think my that. other writing is better. <laughs> I think my other writing is better. But in terms of, like, the amount of, like, attention I got. Right. And I, I just, like, adore attention. I'm kind of, like, a narcissist like that. I love getting attention. So, um yeah, it was it was a wild, <laughs> wild experience, and it it still opens doors for me this day. But yeah, it's also interesting to see. So I, I've been um, traveling to Asia most recently, and in particular to Tibet, where I've been playing with the the Buddhist monks out there. Mm-hmm. And basketball is even political there. Um, the first time I went to Tibet, I went with this group of Americans and we were going to like host a tournament and the Chinese government said, no, um, part of that was because it was, um, like the five year big communist summit that was going on simultaneously. And so they were just cracking down on the Uyghur and Tibetan, um, opposition, or at least like, to say that they have any sort of, Mobilized opposition is an overstatement. Um, but they wouldn't allow Tibetans to gather in groups of more than, I don't know, I think it was like 25 or 50. And they were afraid. I guess like it was a game of Tibetan telephone where they, they said we were NBA players that were going to be playing. So I think that all the neighboring villages were like planning on coming and seeing and they were expecting like maybe a thousand people or something to show up. I'm not sure, but the tournament got canceled uh, for that reason. And the history of basketball in China is itself political. Um, You know, after the Chinese adopted the game from Christian missionaries. um, So Christian missionaries did one good thing, at least Uh, (laughs) the, the Chinese military would, take or as they were you know conquering the west of china where the uyghur and tibetans were they were bringing basketball with them as well and so now you know the tibetans are obsessed with basketball yeah wow. and i was out there playing with them they are the dirtiest players i've ever played with wow oh my gosh the monks yeah not maliciously so it's just that tibetan people are very tough they mm-hmm. live in incredibly harsh conditions, and so that just translates into their style of playing. Like, they were using my, my shoulders as launching pads, and they have very pointy elbows. Wow. Um, <laughs> so it's interesting to see basketball as a 
like subtle political actor in in Tibet even where right. um, it becomes another form of assimilation. So the Chinese government like builds these basketball courts in the middle of nowhere in like central China where the Tibetans live to more or less encourage them to play. Um, now the monks themselves are technically not allowed to play at least like the higher up monks. Um, uh-huh. although they will do that in secret because a lot of the, the lamas are, you know, young boys who just want to play. Wow. And so when this tournament was canceled, how did you readjust? I mean, were you just playing just regular pickup basketball? I think there was a local team. We were like this Tibetan American woman has, um, created a textile company, a clothing company out there called Norla. And it's beautiful. I mean, the stuff they're making is amazing and they're employing local Tibetans all done by hand. Um, and they are buying the, the material from uh, Tibetan nomads who have yak. So they're, they're using all the yak wool, particularly this one part called Kulo, which is like an incredibly fine part of the yak that grows in the spring. Like that's, and then they shed it, but it's as soft as cashmere mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, five times as durable. Um, and so they have their own like local basketball team and they actually like have paid local boys to be full-time basketball players for this team. And there's constantly tournaments going on. Like there's a tournament, it seems like every month um, in this area in Tibet. Um, And so, yeah, it's very important for them to play. I mean, basketball has been completely integrated in the country. And while soccer is also popular, it's not as feasible because creating a soccer pitch is actually much more difficult than creating a basketball court. Is you know, a basketball the... court requires so much more, so much less maintenance mm-hmm. than a, a soccer court or a soccer pitch does. Um, you know, with a soccer pitch, especially out in Tibet, where it's like you know these rolling hills, and there are just holes in it, and and all over these these right. these fields because of all these marmots that dig holes and stuff, and it's it snows in in July there. So, um, I think basketball, and this is what I've noticed worldwide is that basketball is a much easier sport to build architecturally than soccer. Interesting. So even in places where you'd expect, you know, soccer to be the predominant game, and it is the most watched game, I'd argue, but I think that basketball is the most participated sport in the world, um, just because it's easier to build. Yeah, that's so interesting, I guess, because um, I guess I would just think that soccer is easier because, I mean, it's nice to have a net, but like you could also not have a net um, Mm -hmm. and then you could just have a point at which it's then a goal. (laughs) Um, I would just I assumed that soccer was just an easier thing. But I I guess when you're with different terrains and landscapes, it's like it's hard to have a place where that can happen easily. And I think you, you also need more people, I think, for a proper mm, yes. like, soccer match. Basketball can just be two people playing against each other. 
Um, and that's why it's also, I think, a very urban sport because it, it can exist in these tight spaces, whereas even like baseball, you need a field. Right. Um, basketball, you don't need a lot. Yeah. Um, I remember like one of the first basketball hoops I played on was a hollowed out um, milk crate attached to a palm tree. Yeah. Um, so I do think that basketball is more accessible in that regard. And I also think that basketball culture is sexier than soccer culture um, because basketball culture is black American culture and black American culture is the coolest culture in the world. Yeah. I think and you, you see that in China even. Right. And how like the players, like the NBA players are treated when they're there. It's like mm -hmm. they're the absolute biggest deal. Even though the Chinese are incredibly racist towards black people. <laughs> so it's kind of a weird paradox in that regard. Yes, which also I think maybe exists. I mean, does exist in um, uh, the United States as well as far as like how we exalt um, the athletic feats and the body of, of players. And then we're also, um, you know, with with violence and aggression and who's the most incarcerated, it's also, there's like so much racism to, and built into how we um, appreciate basketball players. Absolutely. Which is um, incredibly dangerous. I think if left unexamined and uh, not, you know, basketball, professional basketball taken in with no critical thought is not good. <laughs> I think because you, you, um, you have such a limited perspective of what what you're looking for and what you want from the majority a certain type of person physically and i think that's that's scary um so yeah that's i think it's sort of my my job as a viewer someone who does just want to sit on my couch sometimes and watch a game to not to to think about it in in as many different ways as i can If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, absolutely. And, and that for me, um, you know, that's the act of playing it, especially around around the world with different cultures. Um, exposes different political and social notions to me. Um, I learned that I think I, I noticed that first when I was in Cuba. When I was playing out there for a couple of months um, and that was what kind of kickstarted my um like traveling around the world playing basketball thing i was i was in cuba to write a story about the medical tourism industry because a friend i knew was getting uh, back surgery there this okay. was before the this is before the aca was in full effect and so if this guy was going to pay for back surgery in the states it would have cost him like a quarter of a million dollars um in cuba he got three three separate visits two surgeries it cost him less than ten thousand dollars wow um and they fixed them. Yeah. Um, but I was uh, I was there to report on it and you know help translate Spanish for him because he didn't speak any. Mm. But I couldn't stay in the hospital for very long, so I just started you know wandering around and I quickly found some guys playing basketball and you know hopped hopped in with them and I was immediately welcomed into Havana. Um, these guys would take me around. They refused to let me pay for anything. They made sure that I paid local prices and not tourist prices. 
and I got to see parts of Havana that I never would have seen otherwise. Right. And um, the style of play in Cuba was frustrating, to put it nicely. Like, the games were the seven by ones and two. And uh, the games would sometimes go on for an hour because there was just so much fighting, so much bickering. It became clear to me that basketball was secondary to fighting. Wow, yeah. And I found that to be incredibly frustrating to both watch and participate in. You know, they would foul really hard or they would call a foul on the faintest of touches. Yes. Um, and so I was just like, what is the point? Like, why, why are you guys even playing basketball? And did you say things like that? Were you like, Hey, this isn't fun. (laughs) No, no, no. I, I know as like the big goofy white guy that I am, that's not my place. Sure. It would be wrong of me to like try and correct the way people play. Like it's, it's not up to me. Um, and it would be. There would be some sort of like colonial mm, yes. like oh. aftertaste in my in my wow. mouth if I were to try and tell people how to play. Yes, so, that's so interesting because um, you're you are participating, but you are also like an anthropologist in some way. Yeah, yeah. Um, and with my anthropological perspective, what I kind of started to reconsider was that you know, maybe there's a reason why they're doing this. Like maybe there's a reason why they're playing a style of basketball. And um, Cuba was not as totalitarian as I expected it to be. um, Largely because it's so poor that you can't be totalitarian. Like you can't afford like cameras on every corner. Like you can in the United States where you're like being watched and monitored all the time. Um, Cuba is ruled, I think through scarcity it's like it's not a lot's available for you. Um, but they still don't get to like participate or at least get the illusion of participation that we do in the United States. Like you still have to kind of be careful about what you say and where you say it. But when you play basketball, you know, in a lot of ways you're constantly arguing about fairness and justice. You know, you're 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 arguing about the rules, these boundaries that we put in place. And so it kind of acts as its own sovereign space. Yeah. And they get to be very vocal and passionate about, about what they think is right and what they think is wrong. And so I think that for them, the act of playing basketball was a way of asserting some sort of personal agency in the world and like complaining about what they thought was fair or unfair. Mm-hmm. So that was like one of the things I, I like, I realized playing there that like, you know, we play basketball for reasons beyond just the game itself. I think that, I think that playing pickup basketball, yeah, it forces you to interact with people in a way that you wouldn't otherwise. I, I love playing basketball in different countries because I don't feel like a tourist. You know, I, I feel very much like I'm on the level with everybody else because you enter this world of rules in a way, you know, and, and while the game of basketball might be a little bit different, there might be like a few different rules here and there. For the most part, everywhere I've ever been, the rule is the same where if you ask to play, you get to play. 
you might have to wait longer in certain places and people might try and cheat you out of a game. Yeah. But if you say I got next or I like I want to play, you will get to play. And people do respect those rules. Um, and it's very cool in that regard. Yeah, it, it just seems like a um, a powerful way to sort of build belonging where there is no belonging. Absolutely. I think, and I think that I think that especially in such like a we live in such an, uh, uh, an uprooted world where you know our our personal histories, um, you know our, our our backgrounds, our heritage, they don't don't mean a lot anymore for a lot of people. Me in particular, and I think Americans especially. You know, we're all mutts in America. And, that's why Americans are obsessed with like 23andMe and Ancestry.com um, because we don't have a sense of belonging. Right. And basketball, I think, like kind of creates it in a way, if only momentarily. Yeah, and I think that when you're going to a new place and you get off a plane and all of a sudden you, there's this other language around you and everything is different than what you're used to. The fact that knowing that you have a starting point is really a nice thing. It's like you can always go back to basketball as your way of right. interacting with that place and rather than being like, oh, I have nothing to do or feeling very groundless. And that's the first place I always go to whenever I travel. I always look for the basketball court. And I let everything else happen on the way to the basketball court. You know, I'm, I'm very frequently on foot and a lot of the other stories that I write about that have nothing to do with basketball, I discovered on the way to and from a basketball court. Um, you know, like when I go travel, I don't, I don't look to go to museums anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I always find it to be a funny phenomenon where people don't go to the museums in their hometown, but the second they're in Paris, it's like, Oh, we got to go to the Louvre. Right. it's just like why like you don't like why do you feel like you have to go um so i i almost like avoid that and so if there's a basketball court on the way to the louvre or if i meet like an employee there who can get me in for free or like i get some special treatment then hell yeah i'll go yeah but otherwise i i don't want to like follow the same grooves that everyone else has gone through when they're traveling because being a tourist i'm from i'm from a town whose main industry is tourism yeah in in florida and i hate tourists i hate them so much so i feel very complicated when i become one yes and i don't always think that it's a really um that it's that satisfying of an experience. I mean, I'm always trying to think of the next place that I get to travel to and when I'm going to go and how, how it's going to be possible. But I don't think following that blueprint of these are the places you can't miss, um, it, can, it, it, it leaves you feeling a little bit like you've experienced this place very, in a very enclosed way. Um, where, and you haven't, your idea of that place hasn't necessarily changed. Um, Based on and, your I think, and, and think about the way people like share or position themselves relative to these places they have to go visit. Like, I'm sure you've seen like the 
the people who are always like holding up the leaning tower of Pisa. Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah, like it just it becomes like literally like it's like it's no different than a green screen at that point. Totally. I have yeah. to say if I was there, it would be hard for me not to do it. I mean, I've never been, but if I was there, I think that I would I would just do it cuz that's maybe that's how we interact with that space. But um I understand that it's like I'm not I'm not seeking those things out or I, I'm trying to not seek them out um, because I think it lessens the the chance that there's this unknown and a variable. And when you have a list and you have a um, a travel book of all the sites you should see, those variables get that you can't hear them as much. Right. You know, there's always going to be like the political component of basketball that I appreciate. Um, but my aim now in basketball is the intersection of its like spiritual spirituality, mm, yeah. um, which is why I keep going and playing with the monks. Um, I am going to be coaching um, basketball on Dharamsala, where the Tibetan refugee community is, lives in wow. exile. Um, I'll be doing that this fall. Um Supposedly, I haven't bought my ticket yet, but that's what's yeah. supposed to happen. And so, yeah, I'm just very interested in the intersection of basketball and, and Buddhism in particular. And sometimes that feels weird to say because a lot of like Western white Buddhism is so cringy that yeah, it makes me want to like, <laughs> oh god, it makes me it makes me want to like yank my eyes out um, with some of the things that people say and do. Um, but yeah, that's that's what I want my, my that's what my aim is right now with basketball is to figure out its more spiritual components. I've had spiritual moments playing basketball where I am connecting with another individual, a total stranger, who um, like especially as someone who doesn't even speak my language, but I know where they're gonna be and when. I don't even have to look kind of yes. thing. So you do, you can tap into something much larger than yourself. And that's what I'm always excited about at any moment playing basketball is like transcending myself, transcending my limited basketball abilities, doing things unconsciously that you didn't know you could do. So it's it's always about achieving that, that level of like thoughtlessness and of presence that I think is what's so addictive about basketball for me. And the moments are few and far between. For the most part, it's like me trying not to get mad at my teammates for doing something stupid. Um, but, yeah. you know, when you do touch these moments, it does feel like you're touching the divine. You are you are pulling back this weird layer of reality and exposing something else behind it. Um, and I do think that you can achieve that through sports. I think that through a lot of games, but through through flow... I do think that it's there and available to all of us. And so I'd like to make basketball available. I'd like to make spirituality available to men who have a problem um, with spirituality and women. But men, I think, have a much harder time accessing these things uh, in America. Well, and I think that that can also connect to this idea of vulnerability and like making yourself vulnerable Mm -hmm. and that this, this like aggressive physical um, sport is also about making yourself vulnerable, whether that's like, I mean, that can happen like on and off the court around basketball, but just also 
on the court, you're making yourself vulnerable physically and, and emotionally. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that's an important thing to recognize that it's not, uh, it, it, yeah, that there's that added element of, of fragility. And it's, it's intimate too. And, yes. and, you know, you're, you're, you're touching people, um, in a close way. I mean, you're like half, like half the times, like your arms will be wrapped around somebody. Right. And so there's a very intimate thing too. And I think that men also have a problem being intimate with each other, like recognizing that physical touch is not inherently sexual. Um, and this is like an important place for men to touch each other. Um, there's even, I've, I've been reading about how um, we spread our, our microbiome in different ways. Uh -huh. And in a diverse place like this, when you when you like run into somebody, you're actually both launching each other's microbiome at each other wow. and diversifying it. And so there are all these other things about like touch and play that I think are important and maybe don't go uh, so readily acknowledged. And so, yeah, like it's just it's so important to me in so many different ways. And there are these like weirder components of it that I don't think uh we get to acknowledge as readily, but they're there and I'm thinking about them. Yes, I, I remember hearing, I forget who it was, but I was listening to a post-game interview from a Pelicans um, when, this was like a year and a half ago, when Rondo was still on the team. And mm -hmm. um, one of the players was saying, yeah, Rondo did a really good job of finding us tonight. And of course he was talking about passing the ball to the right place sure. but the, that language of like you're, yeah. you're finding each other like that's what the game is totally, it's like totally. a series of like just refinding each other over and over again like that is the most spiritual thing possible if we were talking about wanting to connect with each other um, and one of my favorite symbols of the game itself is the act of of putting the ball in the basket because the basket has to have a hole in it. Like the, you're, you're, the, the act of basketball is to try and fill a hole that cannot be filled. Like you're just endlessly putting this ball in this basket with a hole at the end of it. And I remember like when, <laughs> oh my gosh, when, yes. when Nate Smith first uh, invented the game, it was just like a peach basket right. and they didn't cut the hole out initially. They'd have to like grab it out, which is like so silly. But that also, when you think about that, that ruins like the flow of the game. That ruins the purpose of the game. Like if the ball were to be stuck and if you filled the hole, then there wouldn't be a game to play. Right. No, it's so, so it's, cyclical. It's such a cyclical yeah. game. Yeah. And so it's, it's very fun for me in that regard to think about these things. And I'm, I'm really happy that uh, you're thinking about them too. I'm actually at the gym right now. Yes. About to play basketball. Oh my God, you have to get to those guys and be an asshole ASAP. <laughs> yeah, I kind of prepare myself mentally yes. for it. Yes, good. Well, I hope you, um, I hope all goes well today and uh, we'll talk soon. I'll let you know um, when I'm going to post. All right, thank you so much. Yeah, sounds good. Have a good day. You too. Bye. Bye.